The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Olakunle Shorinyo is a renowned public speaker, futurist, disruptor, transdisciplinary and catalytic thought leader. He is a high-impact influencer and culture shaper, life and spiritual guide. PK, as he is fondly called, is a great mind and resourceful talent. While honoring diverse engagements for close to two decades, PK's skills, actions, and opinions are admired and trusted by powerful minds and action figures everywhere. PK is a humanitarian, respected researcher, committed social reformer, and nation-building visionary. He is the founder at the Kenneth Shorion Research and Ideas LLC, an organization with a vision to raise 80 million global action figures, leading the world and shaping culture in business, government, media, entertainment, family, education, and religion by 2049. Olakunle Shorinyo is happily married to his beautiful and gifted wife, Tiwalade, and they are blessed with a son. So let's put our hands together for the Lord as we welcome Pastor Kunle Shorinyo to God's favorite house. Let's keep clapping. I keep clapping. I keep clapping. Don't my mic. Awesome. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. Um, again, I'm very excited to be here. I had a fantastic time in the first service. Um, I had a fantastic time. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your reception. Thank you for the hospitality. Um, I just want to thank God's servant, Pastor Femmes, for your love, for your acceptance of me and my ministry. Thank you for opening up to my difference. I do not take it for granted at all. I want to encourage you, you know, um, your church is doing something awesome. I identify with visions like this. What you are doing is penetrating the system gradually, gently with the right messages, with the right associations, the right ideas. This is the kind of place where you want to zone in to what is going on, ask what you can do, be part of the workforce. Don't just warm the pews, you know, jog up, you know, get into it. Throw yourself into the action. God will bless you as you do so in the name of Jesus. Because of time, I'm going to go straight into my message. I'm going to try to maximize this as much as I can. If you were not in the first service... I'm going to appeal that you get the CDs of the first service. Um, it's very important foundation for what we are going to be discussing in the second service, in this service. <clears throat> and um, if you are in both services, they're good for you. But if you had missed the first service, I'm sure a lot of guys have come and they've left, they should get a message of the second service. Because the, second, the first service is like, I want to, the second service is go to Lagos. So, both services is, I want to go to Lagos. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, if you get only the first service, all you've gotten is, I want to. You don't have the destination yet. And if you have the first service, you just hear Lagos. You don't know what is at the beginning. So, get, I want to go to Lagos. Do you get what I'm saying? 
So you get the CDs of the first and the second service and let both of them help you. Jesus, this moment is yours. Use it to your glory. Don't challenge us, just change us. Make us better. Take us to a new level. Help us with new frontiers, new vistas, new ideas, fresh territories, open doors. Thank you for insight, clarity, wisdom, understanding, penetration like never before. In Jesus' name we pray. Shift us from point A to point B. Whatever those points are for everyone in this room, we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. I stand on all the scriptures I read in the first service. I will not bother to read them again. The series of the first service are available, so you could get it to read it. But I'm going to read a new verse in addition to those verses. Are we good? So go to Genesis in chapter 1, verse 26, and Genesis in chapter 11. Genesis 1, 26. Okay, I'll just read it from the screen. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Amen. Genesis 1. So this is 11 from verse 1. 11 from verse 1. Can we go? And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. Everybody say one, one language. One speech. One more time, one language. One more time, one speech. Let's go. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of China and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, go, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime and had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach to the heaven. And let us make us a name. Least will be scattered abroad on the face of the earth. On the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had rebuilt, have been building. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Okay? Go to, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. What happened after that? So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. One translation says, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, is the name of it called Babel because the Lord and did there confound the language of the whole earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Okay. Um, in the first service, I laid the foundation for how loopholes and incompletions and imperfections are the energy, the natural energy of life on earth. Nothing on the face of the earth can exist in its perfect state of existence. Everything you see on earth exists in three states. In a state of existence that you behold, in a partial state of existence that guarantees its improvement, and in a season of usefulness, including all human beings, all ideas, all theories, all philosophies, all things, living 
or non-living. That's just the way the world works. Now, in the same world of imperfection, we are supposed to bring ideas that make the next level of human experiences concrete, usable, transferable, right, and beneficial for all. Now, I tell people every time, if you can't deal with human frailties, if you can't deal with imperfections of things, you can't have peace amongst men. Because no human being has been born that can exist in a perfect state of existence. There is no perfect ideas. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect wives. There are no perfect husbands. There are no perfect kids. There is no perfect system. Otherwise, the American election should not be compromised. That is the highest, highest level of security. Am I talking to you? There are no perfect structures. The reason why perfection eludes humanity is because it is only through imperfections that we can define the excellences that we know. Planet Earth as a whole cannot contain perfection. Planet Earth cannot contain perfect ideas or perfect thoughts, or perfect exchanges. Things can be excellent on earth, they cannot be perfect. That is why I tell people, the pursuit of excellence is great, but the pursuit of perfection is low self-esteem. Are you here? The pursuit of excellence is great. That is a necessary commitment to offer a better experience than we had known. That is cool. But when the pursuit of excellence renders you immobile and inactive, that you cannot create newness because you are busy trying to work on some fantastic idea and you deceive yourself that you are preparing something grand, what is actually happening is you are intimidated by what is prevailing out there. You are unsure whether your ideas will meet up with the challenges and you are struggling with your esteem. A lot of... Um, People that say this person is so finicky, so detailed. It's true for some, but for most people, it's low self-esteem. And there's a way in which you can hide from yourself and hide from God under the weights of those kind of ideas, pursuit of excellence, pursuit of this and that. If ideas have to be perfected, nothing will exist in the world. When they were making the first windows, they knew that it was not the perfect thing, but they put it out. Windows 2 we come, Windows 3 we come, SP we come, and all kinds of windows we come. When they were putting out iPhone, the very first iPhones, they knew that's not, they, as they were releasing it, they knew we are not done. But they took it out, they knew there will be iPhone 2, iPhone 3, iPhone 4, iPhone X, iPhone, all of that, and they keep improving. The energy of improvement is the strength of innovation. It's so important that you transcend your expectation about perfect things, and about perfect behavior, and about perfect systems. I tell husbands every time, if you insist that only through perfect behavior will you have peace, you will never have peace. I don't care who you are. If you insist that only through perfect behavior will you have peace from your marriage, you will never have peace. Because your husband will never be perfect. And your wife will never be perfect. No matter who is praying for you. No matter how long you fast. No matter how much you pray. Your husband will make promises to you. He will break as many as he makes. 
your wife will make promises to you. She will break as many as you make. When you are indeed mature, it is that you have attained a level of spiritual calmness and strength and magnanimity that can contain the imperfection of others. And when you are not there yet, you are still small. You are small in the strength of your thinking and you are small in the strength of your character. When you mature to a big place of strength and quality, then you have grown to the level where you can contain the imperfections of those around you. That does not mean you tolerate indolence or you tolerate mediocrity. There will be corrections, there will be discipline, but there will be no reaction from you that threaten your own peace and your balance. Otherwise, you are small. Am I talking to you? There's no such thing as a, a perfect person. When you hear that somebody is foolish, it's a foolish person. A foolish person also acts wise. It's just that he acts foolish more than he acts wise. So in acting foolish a lot, he has built a reputation for foolishness. Such that his wisdom is occasional. And his foolishness is default. So his default experience that he offers is foolishness. It doesn't mean he doesn't act wise. He acts wise a lot of times, but he acts foolish most of the time. So we call him a foolish person. A wise person also acts foolish. But he acts foolish occasionally. And he acts wise most of the time. So he has developed a reputation for wisdom. So when we say he's a wise person, he's not free from foolishness. It's just that his wisdom is default. <clears throat> when you are in the HR manager, or you are the one creating the policies in a company, and you want to define top performance, you will be unfair... If you define top performance as total notable success, that's wrong. You also be wrong if you define poor performance by total notable failures. You'll be wrong as well. Top performance is total notable failure over, sorry, total notable success over total notable failures. It's what you get when you merge those two that the time is a top performer or a poor performer. A top performer performs poorly too, but occasionally. He's a top performer because he performs excellently most of the time, and once in a while, he will crack and drop the ball. You understand what I'm saying? A poor performer also does well. <laughs> he does well. It's just that he does well occasionally, right? And he does terrible things and cracks most of the time. So he has a reputation for poor performance. So we say he's a poor performer. But there will never be anyone that you will judge on the two ends of the extreme and say it's either success or it's either failure. Then you will miss the genius and the essence of that person. And that is why we judge people. We judge them by the strength of technicalities. We miss their humanity. We miss their essence. Because the beauty of a human being is not hidden in its ability to communicate value every time, but in its ability to show strength even in the face of adversity. Are you here? So perfect systems don't exist anywhere. I tell people who are married every time. It took me seven years of marriage to realize that I'd rather be at peace than be right. Did you hear me? <laughs> it took me seven years of marriage to realize I'd rather be at peace than be right. Because peace is superior to justice. The agitation for justice is always a possibility. Every time you ask for your justice, you will be correct. But you will never receive justice without trading your peace for it. So you have to ask yourself what is important to you, peace or justice. 
Because every time you fight for your justice, you will win. But just where you are done, your peace will have gone. And some people have fought for justice so much, they've won so much battle for justice, they have no peace left. And all you say, come on, come on. How are you? How are you? All the peace is out of their home. They've won all the battles of correctness, superior argument. Just imagine marrying somebody like me. Because if I, if I lack anything, it's no intelligence. I will finish the person with wisdom keys. And that was how my, 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 my marriage used to be. The power of the power. Look, this one we are going to face is the wisdom of the... Ah, I will articulate everything. My home was disappearing by the minute. The more the wisdom keys, the more foolishness we are baking in the house. And I had to ask myself, what do I want? I'm now the King Kong of this home. I've won every argument, but what is going on? There is a sense in which the human being can initiate a self-destructive quantity to slow himself down, and he will do it with confidence. There's something called confident ignorance. You know nothing, but you are not aware. So you carry your ignorance with a lot of class, with swag and trueness. Look, this is just a very handsome, well-organized foolishness. You understand what I'm saying? Please, when I use the word foolishness, I, I like to emphasize that. It's not insult. In my world, foolishness is not an insult. It's a state of existence. As you cannot call a carpenter a surgeon, you can't call a foolish person a wise person. Or call a wise person a foolish person. That does not mean you call people foolishness, foolish, foolish, foolish. But at least in your mind, you can name people for who they are. That's why Paul did not say, oh, wise Galatians, so that he can confess positive. No. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. Why? They were acting in a way that is consistent with the meaning of foolishness. So when we say somebody is foolish, it means there is a set of behavior that conforms to a definition. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you really really irritated by the word foolishness, you should defeat it. You should transcend it. You can't be acting foolish and we say, wise man, ah. The experience you are delivering is frustrating. So we have to recognize that. Because the goal of association is relief, peace, and progress. So if I hire you and you are stressing me, I qualify to fire you. Because I can't be paying you for stress. The reason you pay people is for relief, for peace, and for progress. And so I tell people anywhere, don't, don't fight your boss. Don't get angry at people. Say, I don't like the way he was raising his voice at me. I don't also like what you are doing. Once you have acted wrong, you have lost your right to worry about the method of correction. You have lost your right. You cannot forget what you have done. Say, yeah, the way he's talking to me. Come on, what kind of rubbish is that? So what is happening here? Let's be factual. He is weak. Okay, he's raising his voice. You are also weak. You are messing up. So which weakness will we celebrate now? Should we pay your own and reject his own? The only problem is that if you won't pay your salary... So we are not here to manage your excesses. You manage him. When you people say things like, I want my boss, my boss does not understand me. You are, your boss is not designed to understand you. It's the other way around. You understand your boss. Your boss doesn't have to understand you because you don't pay your boss. You hear what I'm trying to say? For whatever is well, let me say this for you, some of you who work under people. When you work under somebody, you don't give your best. You conserve your energy. You conserve your network. You don't share your phone number. You don't share your relationships. You don't give your best commitment. You conserve your hard work. You see, because you are waiting to start your own. One day I will start my own, you know, so let me just conserve my energy. You forget that every action you take is a rehearsal for mastery. And as you are not giving your best there, 
You are not giving your best there. You are perfecting how not to give your best. You will go on your own one day, truly. It's just that when you go on your own, you will try to give your best. You will be incapable of giving your best. Why? Because for 10 years, you have perfected how not to give your best. You will be trying to give your best, but you cannot give it. You've mastered how to do the opposite. So the only way to prepare for your own thing, if your own thing is really existing, is to give your best now so that while you are working for someone, you've mastered how to release yourself. By the time you get on your own project, you can release yourself again and again. So conserving energy or managing your best is a self-initiated trap to keep you small. It's called arrested development. You will arrest your future by your own indolence. Am I talking to you? That's by the side. Now let's come back to the main gist. The main gist is there is a protocol for the life we live as human beings. Then there is a higher, more complex protocol for the life we live as children of God. Do you know anyone that can jump into a swimming pool and swim on his own terms? Jump into a swimming pool. Can I have a pack of my products? I just want to display it at some point in the message. Are you here? Do you know anybody that can jump into the pool and say, this I want to swim? This, this I'm going to swim today. Because you are an adult, you will have your way. Because nobody can stop you. Once you are above 18, you have a right to destroy yourself or to repair yourself. If you commit this, if you, if you kill somebody and you are 17, you know you can't go to jail. You know you won't go to jail. You will go to a home, a remand home. Why? If, I, if you are 16 and you, call, you kill someone, nobody can even call you a criminal. If I call you a criminal, I can be arrested. They say you are at conflict with the law. Because you are a minor. If I slap you this year and you are 17, it is a, it's an adult slapping a minor. If I slap you one, one year after, it's two fighting. You defend yourself. It's not two fighting. It's not, it's not anybody harassing you anymore. Because once you are 18, the social justice system says you are qualified for any level of responsibility, including a jail term. Hello? So when, when parents say to me, my son cannot do this, my daughter cannot start a holiday job, she cannot start a business, my son cannot marry now, I laugh. Once your son is 18, he cannot marry now, he can't start a business now, <laughs> but he can go to jail. <laughs> you think if he commits a crime now, the law will say, no, uh, daddy says she can't, marry, she can't go to jail now. There's nothing like that. By 18, the social justice system expects expect every human being to be ready for any level of responsibility, including a jail term. And don't tell me he can go to jail, but he can't start a business. Don't tell me he can go to jail, but he can't run a business. He can't pick a job. He can't go do a holiday job in an office. You are afraid of the men that are in the office at 18. If he commits a crime now, will you be afraid of him going to jail? Or will you take the place and go to jail on his behalf? When parents tell me my daughter is not ready for this, my daughter is not ready for this. I understand what they are saying. They are correct. Indeed, they are not ready. But what they are not saying is that they have failed in their responsibility to get the girl ready for society by age 18. Hello? Because by age 18, your daughter cannot have all the puberty signs and she's out there and boys will say, no, don't toast her. And mommy says she's not ready. Ah, come on. Don't, stop it. Oh. Don't toast her. Don't propose to her. You know, her mommy says she's not ready now. You can't see your boy. You are sending your boy to the gym. To the gym every day. He's growing muscles. He's growing muscles. You now get on campus. Hot boy. Don't tell her about courtesy. You know, his daddy says he's not ready. 
with all this money, ah, you know, daddy won, his daddy won everybody. He, he announced to the old school, my son is not ready for courtism. There's nothing like that. The proposals will come. Human experience is a market. You can't control what the seller is pushing out. Your job is to know what you want and how to navigate it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That's how it works. Let me leave that there and go to another block. So the world is already serious. It doesn't need your view. If you jump into a pool because you are an adult, you will swim as you want. You can swim like this. On your terms. But just get ready to die on your terms. You will die sincerely on your terms. Because there's a protocol of swimming. And some things must happen before you can swim. First, you must know that protocol. You must understand the protocol. You must master the protocol. Then you must yield to the protocol when you are in water. Then you can swim successfully. If by any articulation, you forget that protocol, you are the other side. Welcome, good, foolish, but faithful servants. That's what you are going to hear on the other side. You are the other side. I'm talking to you. In the same way, there's a protocol to life. It's either you understand the protocol, you are a victim of the protocol. And people don't think protocols. There is no patient poor man. Any poor man you see is not patient. You just don't know. If you see him, he's very calm. He's not patient. He's been subdued. Life has subdued him. If you go and check him 20 years ago when he was 18, you know he's not patient. Because the Bible says patience is not just virtue. It's a tool. He said, if you allow patience to rule in your life, you will be so complete, you will lack nothing. So patience eliminates lack in the lives of people. Don't see patience as virtue alone. Patience is a business tool as well. If you allow patience to have its perfect source, James chapter 1, you will be entire lacking nothing. And nothing includes money. So patience will compel deception or truth to reveal itself. Even in relationships. That's why we say, don't just give yourself to people. Let time define who they are. Anybody can act in the short run, but in the long run, all human behaviors will emerge. And that's why you have to test things and let time be a force around you. And patience is that weapon. Have you seen all the bus conductors and the bus drivers, the way they move at the bus stops? They can't even wait for the next one. They block each other, they block the road. That's why they are poor. Because there's a little to what you can do. David, you are going to sit down or you are going to go to children's church. Hello? Are you going to children's church? You want to sit down here? You are going to look at me and enjoy the service. You understand? So that's it. Are we together? So that is how it works. There's just a protocol. There's nothing you can do against the protocol. Now, part of the protocol of life and as a Christian is that God has expectations. It's not just blessing people anyhow. It's not just giving people long life as they want. There's something called an assignment in our kingdom. And everything in the world is assignment sensitive. And the moment you shift from your assignment, you shift from everything. The Bible says like a bird that wanders away from his nest, so is he that wanders away from his place. The Bible says the Lord has determined our appointed times and the boundaries of our habitation. Acts 17. If perhaps we will grope for him, for in him we live, we move, we have our being. He has determined our appointed times and the boundaries of our habitation. So destiny is location sensitive. 
if you don't locate yourself where you're supposed to be. And I tell people every time, you are not supposed to pursue your dream. Dreams are designed to gravitate towards you. You position for your dream, not pursue your dream. The problem of life is that your dreams are running after you, looking for you. You are looking for the dream. Hustle is not the will of God. All of these things, young people like to say, my hustle, my hustle. That's why you are still hustling. Is, is the promise of the kingdom. Not hustle. Hustle is toiling. Toiling is the cross of the law. Toiling is a consequence of the fall. Is, is the blessing of the garden. You must experience ease every time. Every time. Because you are a child of God. The economics of the world is governed by hustle and toiling. And that's understandable. Because they are operating under a different covenant. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God, when God was making the world rather, in Genesis 126, he made a simple pronouncement. Man is blessed. You have dominion over everything. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything. You have dominion over it. You have dominion over everything. That promise was not made to Christians. I hope you know. Because there was no Christian when that statement was made. Hello? Nobody was, big, was born again. In fact, that dominion is actually part of the construct of the definition of a human being. When a human being was made, it was made with eyes. It was made with nose. It was made with a kidney. It was made with hands and legs. It was also made with dominion. You don't understand what I'm saying. The human being was constructed by God with many parts that form what is called human parts. One of the human parts is brain. Another is hand. Another is the eyes. Another is the leg. Another is the nose, the mouth, the tongue. Another is the heart. They are visible parts of the human being, which are the things you see. They are invisible parts of the human being, like his thinking faculty. You cannot see it. Like his sense of reasoning. You cannot see it. Like the strength of his emotions. You cannot see it. There are some parts that are physical, but they are covered, like his heart, like his intestine. There are some parts that are intangible. You cannot see it at all. His dominion is one of them. So the dominion is not part of a blessing that God puts on man or that comes upon a Christian when he's not born again. The dominion is part of the construct and the design of man. When he was defining man and constructing him, he put different things on him. And one of the final things he put on the man was dominion. And everyone born of a woman is born with dominion. The Bible says he is the light that lighted every man coming into the world. John 1.9. Every man coming into the world. Everyone comes with illumination. We learn our darkness. Do you get me? The Bible says there's the spirit in Christians. The breath of the almighty that gives us understanding. Is that what the Bible says? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's a spirit in man, in a human being, in all human beings. The breath of the Almighty that giveth understanding. The breath of the Almighty that giveth understanding to all human beings everywhere. Not just to Christians. There's somebody told me, hey, but when man fell, he lost the dominion. Because God cursed him. No. Go and read your Bible again. God never cursed man. This comes up. God never cursed man. This is man. This is man. He has dominion. Dominion is in him. 
Dominion is in him as nose is on him. Dominion is in him as kidney is in him. Do you understand what I'm saying? That dominion is not a blessing from outside in. It's part of his makeup. It's his design. When he was blessed with all of that capacity, there was nothing called born again Christian. Nobody was speaking in tongues. It was just human beings. Now, with that dominion came ease. So if he needs this microphone, this is what God does. Then he takes it. He takes it with his capacity to take. Capacity to do anything. But God that does this. So before the fall, this is how he used to get things. That's how he used to get things. He doesn't look for things. He doesn't hustle. He doesn't toil. Everything is available. All he's supposed to do is everything is available, arrange it, set it. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was not searching for things. He was putting things in place. He was arranging everything that is there. Replenishing, subduing, giving it life, extending it, stretching it. In other words, he was improving it. Do you understand what I'm saying? After the fall, all these things were thrown. Cursed is you. Is that what the Bible says? Cursed is what? The ground because of you, what you have done. So this is what was cursed, not him. The dominion he has is still intact. But the ease of access is what is taken away. So the ground, which is what delivers the ease, is now cursed. So instead of him having this thing here, this thing is now in the cloud. For him to now have this water and this thing again, he now has to deploy all his ability and his dominion to go search for it. And right there is the spirit of also. Do you understand what I'm saying? He now must not begin to run around and look for it. But he was not cursed. He was intact. Everything is intact. But access to value is now what is cursed. So the ground was cursed. This guy would not have to stretch and deploy every part of his being. Even compromise if necessary to be able to assess this. When you get back into the Christ and you are restored and born again, ease has been restored. Those things are collected from everything they are, everywhere they are, and they are brought back here. What is now happening is be positioned where you are supposed to be. He has determined your appointed times and the boundaries of your habitation, and all your supplies are available where you are supposed to be. Goodness and mercy shall not be before you all the days of your life so that you are running towards it. Goodness and mercy are following you. Dreams and pictures are designed to gravitate towards you. So the dream is looking for you. The dream is gravitating towards you. But you are running away looking for the dream. So this is how you are booming. You are looking for the dream and the dream is chasing you. As a matter of fact, the dream chases you till it gets to where you are supposed to be. And it parks there. And you are walking away. When you are riding, you come back to position. And what will bring you back to position is most of the time pain and discomfort. Because pain is a messenger asking you to make adjustments. If your hand is here, will you feel any pain? You won't feel any pain because your hand is at equilibrium. You're not supposed to feel any pain. If you bring your hand here, will you feel pain? Not initially. Meaning that a wrong decision or a wrong positioning can be preceded by a season of bliss and peace. It doesn't make it right. Your hand is in the wrong place, but you won't feel any pain yet. Yet you have made the wrong decision. But in time... You begin to feel a lot of pain. So much that if you don't take this hand down, we're going to have to cut it. Not your own hand. Though. I hope you're not bothered. <laughs> Just an example. People make money from doing example on Hollywood. They're acting movies and they're making billions. So don't be moved. 
These are negative confession. They, they, they are confessing negative every day in horror movies, but they are still billionaires. You understand what I'm saying? So don't they, 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 we are just acting. You, you get the idea. And nobody's paying us for this one. Mm-hmm. So, so look at it. So this guy is feeling pain now. A lot of pain. Does he need painkillers? If he brings a billion panadol, he will feel temporary relief at best. What is wrong is not the pain. The pain is a signal that something deeper is wrong. What is wrong is positioning. And the more pain you feel, the pain is screaming, make adjustments, make adjustments, make adjustments. I don't care if it's physical pain, marital pain, relationship pain, business pain, whatever the pain is, the pain is God's voice asking you to adjust, to make adjustments. The moment you return your hand here, what's going to happen? It doesn't go. It doesn't go immediately too. The pain will still be there. Meaning that even your circumstances and the discomfort around you does not speak of the legitimacy of your positioning. Because a lot of time when we are looking for God, we look to our circumstances. And once they are uncomfortable, we think God is not there. Even when you return to equilibrium and positioning, God is now there. You have made the right move, but the new sense will linger for a while because you just return from a zone of stupidity to a place of wisdom. And you are going to have to design and respond to the effects the, the residue of that wrong positioning, but it has a lifespan. If you remain in that position, the pain will disappear. Isn't it? And then you are back to equilibrium. All you are feeling now most of the time is you in that position. You are back in equilibrium because you are born again. But the problem is, instead of waiting and positioning for your value, you are still jumping around. Have you heard me? Please sit down. Thank you, sir. Now, this is the thing. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. So when you understand that, part of your positioning is to be assignment focused. And all I'm teaching you now is not about how, what is working in the world. This is how our kingdom works. This is how we work. This is what is going on. This is the dynamics of our kingdom. Assignment is the determinant value in God's kingdom. You don't live long because you want to in God's kingdom. If long life is the testimony, then Jesus was an embarrassment. Are you here? Since he lived for 33 years. But you tell me who you would rather be. Jesus, who lived for 33 years, and 2,000 years after, the world cannot find peace except through his name. Or Methuselah, who lived for God knows how long, nobody knew that anybody came or that he left. Who would you rather be? I'd rather be a Jesus that 2,000 years after, the world cannot find balance except through my name. Long life used to be important. It's not a testimony anymore. Because the credibility of existence is superior to the longevity of it. By that, I don't mean go and die young. What I'm saying is focus on your assignment because that's what your protection is. I call it APP. Assignment protection power. Assignment protective power. Straight bullets cannot hit you because straight bullets is for those straight bullets. It's for those straight. When you are working in purpose, the straight bullet cannot come near you. You are protected and shielded within your assignment. If I send you to Aja right now to go and buy me this bottle of water, how much is this bottle of water? 70 naira. Let's say 100 naira. If I send you to Aja, how much will I give you to buy it? I'll give you 100 naira to buy the water and I'll give you 2K to take Uber, go to and fro. Am I correct? Then I'll give you one hour to, to return. Am I correct? If I send you to Abuja to buy the same water, I'll give you the same 100 naira for the water, then I'll give you 100K for your flight to and fro, 
then I'll give you two days to go and return. Am I correct? If I send you to London to buy the same water, I'll give you 100 naira for the same water. I'll give, it may even be cheaper there, who knows? Then I'll give you one week to go and return. Then I'll give you um, one million for your flight to and fro. Am I correct? What determines how much I gave you? The assignment. What determines how long you spend there? So it is the assignment that determines how much you will have in your lifetime. Not determination. It is your assignment that will also determine how long you will live. You don't sit down in your bedroom and say, I'm going to be a billionaire. If it's not in your writing, if it's not in your assignment, if you don't need billions on your assignment, you can't become a billionaire except you go and rob. Or you go and kill. Or you can't do something away from that assignment and you will suffer for it. The key thing in human life is find your assignment. Assignment determines everything. Your supply, your protection, everything. So that when you succeed and you make money, it is for the assignment, not for you. Now, the way it works is you are like a pipe that is passing out water to those who are thirsty. That's who you are. Now, every time you pass water to people who are thirsty, you are fulfilling your mandate and your design. You are living true to your design. Am I correct? Now, the pipe has no plan to be wet. The pipe has no vision to be wet. The plan has no faith to be wet. The, fact, the pipe, as a matter of fact, has no expectation to be wet. All the pipe wants to do is to pass out water to those who are thirsty. But guess what? Whether the pipe likes it or not, whether he wants it or not, once he's busy living to design, passing water to those who are thirsty, a residue of what is passing out will remain inside it. So that whether he likes it or not, it will be wet, even if he hates wetness. Because he that watereth will himself be watered. So success is not a goal, it's an experience. It's what happens to you when you are busy pushing out value to others. When pushing value to others is your critical goal, a residue of the value you pass will remain in you. And that's how we make it in God's kingdom. That's how we succeed. We succeed because we recognize that when we are blessed, we are blessed to bless. We are taught to teach. We are assisted to assist. We are raised up to help others rise. We are pushed to push others. We are given balance so that others can find balance in our own balance. We have been helped so that we can offer help to many. We have been given so that we can give to others. Our shoulder is not a design and a fashion point anymore. It's now a comfort zone and a soccer point for those who are weak. So that the weak can rest on that shoulder. We are now empowered to be the empowerment of the system. All that is coming to you is to give you the balance to offer balance to your generation. When you miss that, you are out of God's will. Your suit is not for you to feel good. There's nothing like God will bless that my enemies can see that I'm serving the living God. That's the most stupid analysis of kingdom value you can ever think of. God is not blessing anybody, your enemies. Who is your enemy? Your enemy is a weapon in God's kingdom. He's using it for your good. Without enemy, you can't have any testimony. You think God hates enemies? God is using enemy. The devil is a staff. He's working in God's kingdom, delivering God's agenda. You're, just, you're angry against your enemy. When you come to a level of wisdom, you will appreciate your enemies more. You need them in your life. You should begin to plan for their peace and arrange for their balance. Because when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. When your enemies are at peace with you, it doesn't mean they are singing your song. It's that they are confounded in the face of your manifestation. 
and their, their curiosity and their humility is being unlocked such that in your genius and in your release and in your prosperity and in your increase, they are asking you what the way is. Your results should humble the observation of the world. Your results should unlock curiosity in the world such that the world wants to learn your ways. So your enemies must be in observable view to witness the science and the transformation of your own genius. So as you grow, they say, wow, you are operating in a zone where they are clueless. He said, come, let us go to Zion to tell him to teach us his ways because Zion is manifesting at a level that the system cannot combine. Do you hear me? The challenge is we want to make it, you want to feel good, you want a good car, you want a good house so that we can, we can, we can just enjoy. No soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life. Now let me break it up. So how is working is this? God expects you to use that dominion that he gives you to transform the world. If you want to see that man has not lost that dominion that God gave him, go to the circus. You will see snake taking instruction from man. You will see lion obeying human laws. You will see snake dancing to a tune of a song, of a flute. In the circus, that's that same dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the jungle. It's still in force. It's how we are deploying it. That is why they don't speak in tongues in Honda. They don't speak in tongues in Toyota. They don't speak in tongues in, in Apple. They don't do laying on of hands in Microsoft. All these cameras we have here, if sinners withdraw what they have given the world today, we can't do church. This building will come down. Our cars will disappear. All of us will be naked. Some of our ladies, your hair will vanish right now. Your hair will go. Because 99.9% of what we use every day are made by people who don't do nothing in any church, who don't even believe in God, who just deploy their God-given abilities. They create products and services that help us to do church. Your shoes, your clothes. You say, I have Tommy Hilfiger. You don't speak in tongues there. Maybe you should go and build us hallelujah figure. That can give tithes and offering. I've been talking to you. And build God's kingdom. The wisdom is, you really have to come to a place of power where you are aligned with kingdom possibilities and kingdom tenets so that your results are more superior and guaranteed. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in taking that home, what kind of things do we need to be attempting right now? What level of expression do we need to be right now? What level of complexity should we, should we be creating? The internet we know today is going to change. We're going to have a new level of internet. Who's going to be responsible for that? The world is struggling with the cure to HIV. The cure to HIV is here in this room in the mind or the spirit of a pharmacist. And what somebody can use 20 years of research to find. At the end of service today in worship, God can show you the cure to HIV. But you don't receive because you don't ask which pharmacist that is a Christian is saying, God, give me HIV. Who is saying so? You know what he's saying? The pharmacist? Lord, give me many stores. Help me to sell drugs. Help me to sell drugs that somebody who is not born again is making. That's what he's praying about. What he's saying is, give me money so that I can travel abroad. So that by the time I'm 40, I can build my own house. Hmm? 
Because I've heard even leaders, Christian leaders, teach. At 40, I must have a house of my own. All of those things that mean something to the world and mean nothing to God. Nothing. A house of your own. There's a gentleman living in New York, I think, at, as at my last check. His name is Ramcharan, as at my last check. And I hear somebody told me he doesn't live in a house of his own. Meanwhile, he wrote a book called Execution, which has sold millions of copies across the world. I hear he doesn't even have a wife. He doesn't even have children. And he's maximizing his life. Living in a hotel, and it's sweet. John C. Maxwell does not have children. I hope you know. Who has not read this book here? John C. Maxwell does not have kids. He has four adopted kids. Meanwhile, some people are waiting for biology to define the strength of their fullfulness. And when God was going to choose between biology or adoption to save the world, he didn't choose biology. Otherwise, God should have married one wife and be giving back to Christians. And be, and be giving back to Christians. Giving back to Christians. What did he choose to save the whole world? Adoption. It means somewhere in heaven and between our human realities, God does not make second best choice. Adoption must be superior to biology in a sense we are yet to understand. Because that's the choice God made. Am I talking to you? And we have to grow. We have to grow to this level of thinking. We can't continue to drive our world by the smallness of human definitions. We'll be small. And we'll be inferior in this world. And God is waiting for you and I. Now getting back to creative disruption. You understand that when God said, give them multiple languages. It wasn't a testimony. They said when they were of one voice and they were of one language, nothing they imagined, nothing they imagined could be taken from them. He said whatever they propose to do, these guys are going to do it. There were two things they could do with one language and one speech. One, they had a high level of collaborative strength to work together. And two, they had high level of imagination and purpose because they were one. The Bible says, see, the people are one. And they have one language and nothing they choose to do will be changed from, will be withdrawn from them. Or can, can they be limited in any way? Because of their oneness. And when God was going to tame them, people say that God tamed them because they were building a house that was going to get to heaven. That was not why God tamed them. God does not have a problem with anybody doing anything. So people say he tamed them because they were building a name for themselves. God has no problem with you building a name for yourself. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, I will build you a name like the names of the kings of the earth. The problem at that tower was that God had commanded man to grow and expand horizontally. By filling the earth, by, by being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. The guys at the Tower of Babel were committed to expanding vertically. They were expanding vertically, which is a zone of genius. That's the zone of inventiveness. But they were commanded, there's nothing wrong in expanding vertically, but that's not our commitment now. Our commitment now is to respect that we can grow vertically, but the instruction is to grow horizontally. So expand, horizontal expansion is the spirit of innovation, is the spirit of improvement. Make the world better, improve it, expand it, stretch it, take it to the next level, offer a new experience through an old thing. 
to the same old thing that you know. Add wisdom to no knowledge and but newness. That's what he was saying. And these guys made the statement that caused God, that caused all the trouble. They said, let us build a building that goes all the way to the heaven. Lists will be scattered across the whole earth. The same thing God asked them to do is what they were not trying to do. They didn't even say this will be scattered in the world. They said this will be scattered throughout the whole earth. And God actually said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And now these guys were not trying to fill the earth. They were trying to fill the heavens. So I don't have any problem in heaven. It's the world I need to fix. You guys were coming up. We have to stop this project. Do you understand? That was what was wrong at the Tower of Babel, guys. That was the error of the Tower of Babel. It was a problem of responsiveness to instruction. The same thing in the book of Acts. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, and the remotest part of the earth. That was the instruction. What were the disciples doing? They were building value on one spot. They were being added to them. People were even afraid to join them. And they were increasing 5,000, 3,000 on one spot. What did God do? He sent persecution. Persecutors scattered them. As they were running from persecution, they were preaching the gospel everywhere they were going. They didn't have a strategy to preach the gospel to the world. Persecution drove them to do it. The same thing was happening at the Tower of Babel. They were being chased by diversity of language. The moment God confused their language, the Bible said they ceased to build. You know why they ceased to build? They were busy trying to understand each other. Who is speaking Igbo? Who are those speaking Igbo? Let's come together. Who are those speaking Yoruba? Who are those speaking Isha? They were busy looking for managing their diversity. They lost their centeredness. That is why the poorest countries in the world have the highest number of languages. You can laugh all you want. I'm telling you facts. Listen. Listen. Diversity of language is not a testimony of man. That was God's initiative to limit human collaboration and creativity. When God gave us multiple language, it was to contain man in a smallness that will compel him to become ordinary. Incapable of that zone, that magical miracle zone he was, where nothing he imagined could be withheld from him. When God wanted to contain that, he introduced, if Genesis 1, Genesis 11, 1 is the true testimony of the origin of languages, then the origin of that language was not to prosper man or to advance man. It was to limit man and force him to be contained within his own. Am I talking to you? Yes, sir. When God gave us many languages, it was to keep us small. That's why the most prosperous countries today don't have many languages. The poorest are enough language. Look at Nigeria now. So many languages. We are busy trying to blend our languages. We can't remember how we are going to expand or, and grow and innovate. Because our centeredness has been broken. Am I talking to you? Are you sure? That, ladies and gentlemen, is the state of humanity. And man has continued to struggle from that point on. I can go on into so many theories I don't want to bother you with. So some people left that place, they came to Europe. When they got to Europe, they were the ones speaking the same language. It wasn't called Europe then. It was just a zone. They didn't know the zone they came into to settle. When they settled there, they didn't know that there was natural disaster there. They didn't know there was winter, summer, spring. The Bible even says, prepare your food in summer so that you can be alive in winter. Okay? So they found themselves there, but they didn't understand that wisdom then. So all they were doing was trying to live there. Their environment, their ecology compelled them to begin to ask themselves questions. Those who grew up in that area, 
So they were saying to themselves, this year in December, our cousin died. Next year in December, our brother died. Third year in December, our uncle died. Fourth, fifth year in December, our son died. There's something about this December that is killing us. We have to do something. Can we cover ourselves? Can we do this? So the necessity became the mother of their invention. They began to think and they began to create. National disaster will come. Tsunami is coming. Volcanic eruption is coming. So the people in that zone were taxed by nature to think at a level. Don't misunderstand a lot of the genius we see in Europe and in America. Their ecology compelled them to think. You see, in Africa, in Europe, if you wear a shirt in June and you wear the same shirt in January, you are going to die. By January, you must innovate and create something that will protect you in winter and prepare from that from summer. Do you understand what I'm saying? In Africa, some people came to this zone as well. But in this zone, there was no natural disaster. There was no rain. Everything was perfect. Rain was consistent. Sun was consistent. If you wear a shirt in January, you can wear it in next January. You'll still be alive. There was nothing disturbing you. The economy was friendly. The ecology was friendly. The environment was friendly. There was nothing in nature that was unsettling your creativity and compelling you to think and to solve problems. Maybe it was designed to be a blessing such that you will have tranquility and satisfaction free to think and solve problems at a level. Instead, you probably indulge in it. Well, it's not a coincidence that you can take a look at it. I'm not giving any theory. I'm not giving any doctrine. I'm not saying just yes, the Lord. But for some reason, the guys who went to this area have not done too well. Well, they said, well, it's, it's slavery, it's slave trade, and colonialism that came to take them. Colonialism came to take you. Why didn't you take them? When they came, okay, I've asked, why was Mongo Park, who said, I want to go and see the end of this river? Why was William Wilberforce, the one that said, I want to go? Why can't a fatai in Africa say, I want to go and see the world? Why didn't we go and see Europe? Why didn't we discover Europe? Why were we discovered? We don't move, we don't ask questions, we don't spread. It's likely that we are the leaders of those people that say, let's stay once once. But these are symposium discussions in future. These are things time will reveal to us. But the reality is, why are we here? There's no prosperous black nation in the whole world. There's none. There's no environment that is predominantly black that is prosperous. Eh, so you are saying the white man is better than us? That's not what I'm saying. But have you considered that when God made man, he didn't make races? God did not make white man, black man, Chinese man. At times we forget, you know. God made only one race. It's development, mutation, science, development that changed our skin color and our pigmentation. By design, God did not make Oyimbo black, Chinese, French. God did not do that. God made man in one zone, one race. Time created multiple races. Language helped us to identify with our races. Am I helping you now? Am I causing trouble for you? Please, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying black is inferior. I'm just saying that we have built our history in a way that can explain where we are now. Whatever it is, whether it's by default or by fault, somehow, this is the reality of our engagement. Multiple language is not supposed to be a testimony. God did not scatter your language to bless you. God scattered languages to limit man. Come on now. Are you here? So man has continued to struggle. We created League of Nations. League of Nations tried to blend our history. What happened? It failed. World War happened the first time. It happened the second time. Now we have United Nations. United Nations is not united. The nations are not united. I hope you know. And United Nations cannot unite the world. Right now, United Nations nuisance is being defined every day. Because there are nations inside this it cannot control. And they do what they will. There's no starting of their understanding when they choose to do it. 
So it's an unfair ground. Whether you like it or not. It's not proportionate. There's no equilibrium there. The things you will do as Nigeria, you cannot get away with. Another country can do it. They will get away with it. And there's nothing the world is going to do about it. Because that union is a pretense that we are in unison. In practical terms, we are not. Come on now. Are you hearing me? Are you sure? So man is doomed through that experience. When Jesus came, he gave us a new experience. Everything you see in the new is a shadow of what is in the, in the, in the old is a shadow. Sorry. Everything you see in the old is a shadow of what is in the new. There's no new experience that you cannot find in the old. I said that in the first service. Even in the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament are now fulfilled in the new. And you can see the real version of everything old. So if you go to the New Testament, you can see the place where how the temple used to work. You can see the newness of it in the New Testament. You can see everything in the New Testament. You can see the supernatural nature of the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. And you can see it's from the New Testament. In the same way, the unism we lost, the creativity and organization we lost in the Tower of Babel has been restored with the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though we now have multiple languages and we cannot change that anymore, in the same way that you have been born, now that you are born again, you won't become a true again because you are born again. You will remain 42, but you are now a newborn babe in Christ because you are now born again. In the same way, your language is still in your mouth, but you have been given a new language. There's now a new language, which is the restoration of the error of Genesis 11. So what is happening to you now is that speaking in tongues has been given to you. The very language that binds us together, regardless of tribe, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of language, diversity, and all of that. So every time you say, you are back to that Genesis 11, and the power zone of that place, the unity of that place is back. The next time you are speaking in tongues, you are not just speaking in tongues to fulfill that you have the Holy Ghost, or to show that you are filled with God, or that you are born again. Every time you speak in tongues, you are back to that power zone, that creative zone, that collaboration zone because that is the new language given to man to experience that oneness of thought and communication that we had at the time of Babel. So this is it. This is it. This is it. When you are speaking in tongues, the cure to HIV is knocking at your door. When you are speaking in tongues, the next level of the internet is knocking on your window. When you are speaking in tongues, the next level of social media is knocking on your window. When you are speaking in tongues, the new dimension for phones is knocking on your window. When you are speaking in tongues, the new idea about how cars will fly is knocking on your window. But your mind has to be open to receive it. So you don't speak in tongues anymore, policy your shoe. You don't do that anymore now. It's not a casual experience. When you are speaking in tongues, you are in a power zone. You are in a miracle zone. You are in a zone of contact with the genius of the world. That is the critical advantage that the world lost that you have now gained. The only problem is that you are using all of that to want to buy a car. Instead of to do things that will shake the system and compel culture to take a second look at you. So your dreams have to change. Your goals have to change. And it may look so impossible now. What is this pastor saying? Where am I going to start from me? How can I find the cure to HIV? How can I find You don't understand. God lifts up the poor from the dunghill and sets them among nobles. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to fear. You don't have to qualify. He has qualified you. 
is able to do exceeding abundantly above whatever you can think or imagine. If it does exceeding in your life, it's enough. It doesn't need to do anything again. You are exceeding target easily. But he said, that is not enough for my capacity. I will do exceedingly abundantly. If he doesn't do exceedingly and he does abundantly alone, you are made for life. Am I true? But he said, I will do exceedingly and I will do abundantly. But even when you combine the two, it's still not enough for what I can do. I will do exceedingly abundantly above. Whatever is from above is above all. So above alone is enough to bless you forever. Combining the three, exceedingly abundantly above, that's a superman right there. Then he said, even that is not enough. I will do exceedingly abundantly above whatever. You know what whatever means? Anything. So think about it. Flying car is inside anything. Castles in the air is inside. Cure to cancer is inside. Think of anything right now. Whatever you think of is the beginning of what God is capable of doing. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above whatever you can think or imagine. According to the power that works on your inside. The power. What is that power? For we speak the wisdom of God, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? In a mystery. He that speaketh in tongues speaketh not to man but to God, for no one understands. How be it in the spirit we speak mysteries. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Every time you say, You are not just jiving. You are not filling the gap. You are not looking for a prayer point that you cannot find. You are not using tongues to cover the time. That's not what you are doing. What you are doing is you have come to a zone of power. And the world is about to change because of that moment. Have you heard me? Never in your life go out one day without spending some five minutes, three minutes. Never enter a meeting without throwing some tongues in your subconscious. You don't need to say it out. Just let it be there. In that moment, angels are rushing ideas to you. Angels are rushing genius to you. They are rushing new contracts, new things, new zones. I can't explain how many doors God has opened. Just because I stayed in the moment. There's a company I won't mention in Nigeria. They tried to solve a problem again and again. They called the biggest consultant to solve those problems. They couldn't. And they called me to a meeting and said, this is what we are trying to do. Somebody mentioned my name to them. And as they were speaking, they, before they, I started speaking, they told me how they've called some big company that I respect and they've not been able to do it. So as they were speaking to me, my mind was telling me to, me too, I even know, I can't solve this. Please. We are all stranded. How do we deal with this? But guess what? I remember what I'm saying today. And I zoned out of that conversation. I zoned in into the spirit. In that moment, what you will say will be given to you. Don't think about what you will say or how you will say it. It reserves it. You see, when you read the Bible at times, when you finish reading the Bible, don't ask yourself, what did I read? Because if you really read the Bible, most times, if they, what did you read? If you ask yourself, what did I read? You can't even remember. You don't need to remember. The Bible is not a textbook. The goal of Bible study is not recall. It's response. You see, in the day of contradiction, hmm, that scripture will rise out of you. And it will rise at times not as a scripture. It will rise as a feeling. At times as anger. At times as a resolve. It will rise as determination. It can rise as a thought. It can rise in any form. But it will rise. When the enemy throws all his onslaught on you, the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard. The word of God is spirit and is life. And I challenge you today, don't operate in your natural sense. Embrace it, use it, deploy it, but recognize there's yet a level that the world cannot come into. And every time you are filled with complexity, zone in there. Dare to believe and zone in there. 
and remember to say, not in fear, but in confidence and assurance, that value is about to be dropped on my table. And you say, If there are unbelievers there, don't say it out. Just say it in your mind. You are hearing, God is hearing. Come on now, have I helped you today? Are you sure? Are you sure? Now listen, I say that to tell you that if your wisdom cannot mentor evil in the system, you are not wise. The only way to tame evil is to operate at a level that evil finds inspiring. Then when evil finds your wisdom inspiring, it will submit to it in mentorship. Then you now have a chance to manipulate it and tell it what to do. Evil is in the system and it's in charge. And you cannot braggado it to surrender to you. He said, how can you control a strong man's house? You have to bind him first. And you don't bind him without the spirit of violence. You bind him with inspiration. I went to speak in a place. People heard me put it on video. If you know people that are calling me to say, I heard you say this. Strong men who control systems are saying, can I talk to you? Can I sit with you? Because I spoke on an idea that is completely of their reality. Somebody invited, the topic they gave me was spiritual branding. Spiritual branding. And I told them, spirituality is not a religion. It's not a religion. The Buddhist is spiritual. The Islam, is, the Muslim is spiritual. So what is spirituality? It is a focused state of being that delivers maximum value at a level. And depending on the source of that spirituality, you have a different contents of it from faith to faith. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I spoke at that level and I began to teach the idea that evil is a component waiting for you to master. And as I close, guys, if I forget anything today, or if you forget anything today, remember and remind yourself that evil is designed for your control and for your manifestation. And when you understand that, you will curate your environment differently. There are so many parts of this we have not gotten to, but never forget that the devil is working tooth and nail to bring you into your place of destiny. Trust me. And in, in, in driving that home, remember that Job was on his own and God has blessed him. God has given Job $2 billion, but it was not the end of Job. God wanted to give Job $10 trillion. But the $2 billion that God had given Job was ostensibly Job. Job cannot eat, he cannot drink, he cannot go out, he cannot come back because of what God has given him. Guess what? Job with his mouth said, my groaning come at the sight of my food. He also said, what I fear has come upon me. So when Job sees his chicken, his turkey, his meat, his food, he's always afraid. I hope I won't lose this thing one day. When he sees his children and his houses, he will say, ah, I hope these things won't go. On $2 billion, and this somebody God wants to bless with $10 trillion. So what did God do? God saw clearly there's something in Job that cannot handle more. And more is still coming to do more work. We have to take out that thing inside him. And God cannot be tempted by evil. He doesn't do the dirty works. You see, guys, guys, power dynamics dictate that the one who breached the order of peace must be on ground to organize his restoration. That's why God did not kill the devil in the Garden of Eden. Because when you breach the order of peace, you will be alive to organize it back to state. Who started slave trade? The white man. Who cleaned it up? The white man. Who started colonialism? The white man. Who cleaned it up? The white man. Who started military governments? The, the military. Who ended it? The military. You see, the way it works is that if terrorism will stop, it's the people in the Middle East that will stop it. 
because power dynamics dictate that the one who breached the order of peace must be around to organize it. Devil was the one that breached the order of peace and he had to be around to organize his restoration because God cannot kill anybody. God doesn't do evil. So the devil is the one that does the devil dirty job. So what did he do in the state of Job? God called the devil. Did he call you? The devil come, let me see you. No, he called the sons of God. When he called the sons of God, the devil showed up because God knew when I called the sons, the enemy will show. And when the enemy showed, he did not tell us what he said to the sons of God. We don't know what the conversation is, but we know what he said to the devil. He asked the devil, how have you been? The devil answered, I've been fine to and fro the head, going to and fro. That's the conversation. And he told him, you know me, I'm not omnipresent. You are the one omnipresent. You can stay on one spot and be doing everything. Me, I can't be everywhere at the same time. When I'm with Pastor Kunle, I can't be with Pastor Femi. When I'm with James, I can't be with this. And I don't have enough demons. You are the one with innumerable company of demons. Me, I only have one third. They can't be everywhere at the same time. So we have to move around the world. And the... the devil is not with you every time. When he's with me, he's not with you. When he's with Ajayi, he's not with Femi. They are not, in, in Yoruba, we say one or two. He doesn't have enough number to go around seven billion people. When it was just Adam and Eve, he had all the time. When we became 1,000 in the world, he had all the time. Now we are 7 billion. They are not enough. So, omnipresence is now showing a big weakness in the devil's camp. That's why they have to introduce some other higher tools and engage that. Oh, that's another level of technology. But listen to this, man. There is a spiritual technology you have to understand in that situation. The spiritual technology was God needed to execute something out of Job. The only way to do it is to execute, is to employ the one that can do the dirty job. So he told the devil, have you seen my servant Job? I, I know him, that one by Mushin. Uh, you are the one covering him now, I can eliminate him. If you say you cannot, okay, go ahead. And then he went. What God does is he installs his agenda as a virus into the devil's program. So that the devil can own it. Listen, listen. So that the devil can own it and he can execute it. Because he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And when God wants to eliminate something, he must dump it as a virus into the devil's agenda so that the devil can go for it full strength. So when he dumped the uplifting of Job in the devil's agenda, the devil owned it and went to attack Job and brought all kinds of Job on Job. When it was done, the Bible said the latter end of Job was greater than its beginning. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Who did all the job? The devil. Did God do anything? No. Who took all the glory? God. Had they known, had they known, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known, they would not have attacked Job. Had they known, they would not have attacked Pastor Kunle. Had they known, they would not have attacked Fred and Ajayi and Kemi and Ola and Eunice. Had they known, they would not have attacked you. When the biggest move the devil ever did was to put Jesus on the cross. Biggest move he ever moved was to move Jesus on the cross. Well, that was also the biggest move God ever made. Who did all the job? The devil. The devil did it, finished it, and said, I'm done. And he said it was done. God said, I'm done. The devil said, no, you are not done. You did nothing. I did everything. He said, yes, you do everything. When you are done doing everything, I've done everything. He said, but I'm done. I'm done also. When you say it is finished, it is finished. You will never do anything without doing what I want. When you are done with all your program, you sweat, you invest, you put time, you put energy. At the end of your program, my program is achieved. And so, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let me shock you. I don't know what the devil is doing in your life right now. What is attacking you, pulling you down, gossiping on you, stretching you left and right. Let him finish. Let him finish. Guess what? Guess what? All his life, he can't get that coding. It's an encryption. Once he's done, God is done without doing anything. 
when he's done with what he's doing right now, your testimony will emerge. What you need is to calm down. Calm down. The Bible says the wisdom of the prudent is to understand this way. Understand how the power dynamics work and let the devil labor for your next level. But the courage and the character to be calm and to say, Lord, I trust you in this one. You are designing something beyond logic, but you are designing my next level. In the name of Jesus. I'm not the one doing it. You are not the one doing it. You are not attacking me. The devil is the one attacking me, but in his agenda, you have thrown in the virus of your own commitment. And just when it's done, I'm done in Jesus' name. Do you get what I'm saying? Rise to your feet. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because you may have heard guest ministers come here to say stuff over the years. Some of those stuff are still ongoing. Some of the prophecies prophesied on you are still manifesting. Some have manifested. Some people may think maybe it's not manifested anymore. They are all manifesting. And I want to add to that body of prophecy today. And I say this by the Spirit of God. And I'm not just trying to talk you happy or to excite you. There are people in this room that the government of this nation would depend on to shift legislation. Oh, come on. I am not, I'm not trying to talk you. I'm not, I'm not motivating you. I am, you don't need to say amen, actually. Prophecy does not need generic approval or collective responsibility. You just need to believe that it's word of God for you. Listen, there are people in this room, you, the government will not be able to shift its legislations without seeking your counsel. I don't know who you are. I don't know who they are, but they are in this room. In the name of Jesus, receive it where you are. You know that is you. Some of you, you've been feeling the tugging for a while. The people in this room, the fashion industry will receive new designs because of your ideas. It should not be Nigeria alone. It's going to go all the way to Fifth Avenue in New York. It's going to go all the way to the runaways in Paris. It's going to go to the runway in France, in, 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 in Brazil, in, 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 in New York, in California, in the name of Jesus. There are some people here, you are Silicon Valley material. You will be here in Lagos and you'll be signing deals in Silicon Valley. You'll be sitting on the same table with the biggest minds in Hollywood, with the biggest minds making some of the most complex ideas in science and development. You are in this room. You don't need to see how. Just believe today. And begin to trust God for his manifestation in your life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, are you hearing me? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, even as I've said many words and I've stretched the time even more than necessary, there are still so much more I did not say. There are so many things I would have loved to explain and dig in and show know-how and clear science of things. But Lord, we are human beings living in the realm of time. But I trust you because you are unlimited. And I put a demand on the grace of God upon Pastor Femi Monet. I put a demand on the grace of God upon the God's favorite house. I put a demand on the grace of God upon my life. And I agree with heaven and with your plans and your purposes. That beyond my words today, you will visit these people with clarity, with insight, with know-how. With what and why and how and what next. In the name of Jesus. 
receive why, receive what, receive how, receive what next. In the name of Jesus. You are being visited with the four brackets of extension. You will understand what to do. Why you should do it. How it should be done. And what the next level of it is. In the name of Jesus. Receive it in Jesus' name. Complexity becomes simple for you from today. Your eyes are blessed because they see. Your ears are blessed because they hear. So you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you praise and glory. We worship and we adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Give the Lord a clap offering.